Uh, welcome back to Conspiracy What show where we go over all kinds of conspiracies. Uh, and this month we are going over some of the scarier conspiracies. Spooktober. Spooktober. Mm. Spookyville. I'm one of the hosts, Cameron, and I'm joined by. I am Allie, and we are welcoming back this week Serena. Woo! Yay! <laughs> if you guys remember the last episode she was in, in uh, the Avril Lavigne episode, she mentioned that this was actually her favorite conspiracy. Yes. So, here so that we are. makes me only minorly an expert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a. What is it like? I mean, governments yeah. consult me on this, obviously, but that doesn't make me nice. <laughs> so I guess we should probably say what it actually is. Um, oh, yeah, we haven't done that yet. Short disclaimer, though uh, everything is Russian in this. And if we say something weird or wrong, uh, sorry. Then yell at us with a five star review on iTunes, <laughs> preferably. <laughs> Let us know. Anyway, this is the Dyatlov Pass incident. Dyatlov? Dyatlov. 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 That one. Yes. Yep. yep. The Dyatlov Pass incident. That's um, probably the easiest word to say out of all these. I know. Well, since this is Serena's favorite, do you want to tell Ooh, us, yeah, tell us sure. the basics? The, the rundown? Okay, so basically, in 1959, on February 4th, First, there was an incident where, so 10 hikers started up the mountain. One of them turned back, so ended up being nine hikers. Went up the mountain and did not return um, on their date when they were supposed to, which was February 12th. And on February 20th, it was discovered that they had all died in very bizarre circumstances, which we will get into. But this is um, one of those ones that it lives on because it is so haunting. And if you... If you know anything of this, I'm sure you've remembered because it's one of the ones that you just don't forget. For sure. Unfortunately, we, we do actually know very well what the timeline was because everything was very well documented. All of the hikers, they kept a journal. I think there were seven cameras on the trip, so there's lots of photographs. And so that's kind of how we, we can tell that they just kind of stopped yeah. on February 1st. So if you kind of follow their journey... Um, it starts, you know, like January 23rd, they're traveling and they're traveling a bunch and there's, you know, tons of fun stories of them like, oh, yay, this is great. They, they'd all been on expeditions like this before because they were really experienced. They're very experienced um, hikers, skiers, um, lots of stuff like this. And they started hiking up the mountain on, let's see, on the actual first night. Is that what it is? January 31st? Yeah, I think January 31st is the first time they actually hike. Yeah, yeah, they the start mountain. hiking up just like barely. And then on the night of February 1st into February 2nd, yeah, is when they were attacked. Yeah, and like you said, they're all extremely experienced. Um, all of them were students from the Polytechnic University. They were actually doing this trip to get their uh, grade three certification in hiking. So they... This was like, and grade three is like the very top. That's, that yeah. just means you're like a total professional in hiking. And so all of them were already grade two. And just to point out too, all of like the hikers, they were tough people. 
Yes. Um, yeah. Not only in like just hiking, but like in their their personal lives. Yeah. yeah. They they were almost like really cocky about this, you know, because they were just having so much fun and like the most dangerous situations in the middle of nowhere in the Russian mountains. Um, there's stories about a couple of the hikers just to show like how crazy and strong they are. So Lita had been previously shot in the leg on an expedition because someone was like cleaning their gun wrong and she still finished the hike. Um, one of the like four Yuri's had once chased off a bear with nothing but a hammer and his own loud voice. But yeah, those are just two things. Like these people laugh in the face of danger. <laughs> yeah, they were no strangers to dangerous situations exactly. by any means. All nine of them died. They were found dead. They had weird amounts of clothing per person. You know, some of them were like undressed and all of them are missing shoes. None of them were really very close together. They were all in little groups, like in twos and threes, several miles yeah. from their campsites. Well, some of them were only a mile from their campsite. Some of them were almost five miles away in the ravine. Yeah, yeah once they had fallen down the ravine, but they, they think that they never ran much more than a mile and other than the ones who fell. And the ravine was on a slope. So it wasn't no. quite like just a straight drop. They think that they would right. have had to tumble into it. Yeah, if you look at it, it's kind of like a bowl. It looks, yeah. it's not like a cliff. It's more of like a depression. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, so all, all, let's see, five of them were found down there. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Or just three of them? Three of them. I think four were found down there. And the weirdest okay. thing is after they were all found and brought down, their cause of death is just cited as basically an unknown compelling force. Yeah, even it's even to big. this day, which is yeah. yeah, just a ridiculous thing. So yeah, so all of these people, so several of them had no clothing on. They all had no shoes. All their shoes were still inside the tent. Like they'd all clearly gotten into their tent, taken their shoes off. There was still food out that they had like yet to eat. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that they found in the tent that was like weird was there were knife marks to the tent that had been from the inside. And this tent's big. If you look at the picture, like it's not like, oh, you set up like your little tent. It's like, it's like a cabin looking type tent that they dug into the snow and put up this tent. And then, yeah, like it was ripped from the inside. So, yeah. and it was definitely, it was one for all nine of them and you could stand up and walk around in there. So, yeah. And it, it was, was big like three tent. layers of fabric. So it was like actually hard to get through. Yeah. This was no like, you know, oh, I brought a tarp with me and it happened to be kind of ripped. Like this was, this was like a tent. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, after they were, after it finally was accepted that they were missing, which it should be noted it took a while for the government to even acknowledge that they were gone. Because initially when they were like three days late coming back, they were like, oh, it's fine. You know, this kind of thing happens in winter conditions. It wasn't the government that did that. It was the university. Oh. The university. So the all of them were from the same university. They were going for various, mostly engineering degrees, either chemical or radio. Radio. Uh they and a new, one was like a nuclear physicist or something like that. I think that was the older guy, wasn't it? No, he was just a hiking guide. Oh, yeah, he didn't go to the university, but the, the university was told that they were going. They allowed them to go on the trip because they have to allow them the time off. But when they didn't return back, the university at first didn't want to do anything about that because they thought, well, they're supposed to be back. When they hadn't returned by the next day, the university got a little more worried. And that's when they eventually sent out for a message back from the nearest village, which they eventually got the return that 
the the team had never arrived back at the village. Yeah. So then they started to get worried, and they ended up sending out people to search for them, which ended up leading into a full-scale investigation. That investigation did end shortly after it did end in 1959. However, in terms of like a social investigation, that's been ongoing since then, and yeah. mostly has been going through the uh, Dyatlov Foundation, which is run by Yuri uh, Konsevich, who was 12 when this all happened, but he was in one of the nearby towns and saw a funeral procession for like four of the hikers. So that was all, all started him on this path of searching to find what happened, which he's still Mm -hmm. currently on as of like even 2019. So that's kind of how the whole event got started. Those are like the basics of the whole thing. But like going deeper into it, the real investigation itself started once they started finding bodies. Which took a long time. Right. Originally, they didn't think they were going to find bodies. They thought they were going to find living people. They thought they were going to find their friends because most of them were friends that were searching and they didn't think this was going to be a big deal. They thought they were probably just trapped out there. Somebody got injured so people couldn't leave. Something like that had happened. It wasn't, this was not what they were expecting at all. Because again, they were so experienced. This was something they did all the time. Yeah. yeah, and they they just totally were expecting them to be like in a cave, somebody in a cave somewhere with somebody like having a broken leg. Well, yeah, and having nine people go missing or injured or whatever is not common, especially not nine experienced people. You expect one or two of them at least to make it out, which is usually what you hear in these type type of stories. However, the only person that made it out was uh, one of the Yuri's. Yuri Yudin. Uh, <laughs> he is the only one to make it out, but that's because he left on the final day before they actually ventured into the wilderness. Yeah, he left at one of the towns that they stopped at, the it was last an town. abandoned mining town. And yeah. he had rheumatism, and in order to get up to the, to the towns up there and to go hiking and stuff, they had to take a lot of trains, cars, and there was a sled involved at one point. Yeah. And so a lot of it was rough terrain. And as the journey went on, you know, he was getting shooting pains in his back and just, he was being stubborn the whole time. And then finally, when they got out to their geological camp, he woke up and he just like couldn't move because he had just tried to stick it out for so long that he just messed up his back. And he said that he knew he probably wasn't going to be able to do the hike, but he wanted to stick with it as long as possible. And they had, I mean, just to show kind of what this was, the the hike itself is the hardest part, but yet they still had to do things like they they had to cheat their way onto a train, hiding some of their members because they didn't have enough money (laughs) for train tickets. They had to walk 15 miles from one town to another while their stuff was brought over on a sled because Mm -hmm. the sled didn't have enough room for them. They also had to ride, it was like two hours or three hours or something like that in the back of a truck, just in the bed of a pickup truck where they all just sat there or slept there until they got to the next town. And that was the easy part of the journey. But then, you know, by then he had gotten just so messed up from his pre-existing conditions that he had to just... Yeah, it wasn't worth it for him. Any, yeah. yeah. So he's the, he's the, technically the only surviving member of the party, but he never actually did the hike. Right. He left before they actually started the hike. Yeah, and he becomes instrumental in identifying the bodies and identifying belongings and kind of trying to help the investigation along, even though that didn't help the investigation really get very far. Yeah. Unfortunately, one of the biggest problems before they even find the bodies is while they're searching, it takes them quite a while to find anything like we said. And the first thing they find is the tent too. They don't even find a body first. 
they find the abandoned tent. But before they ever find that, they are just kind of searching and searching and searching blindly because they were supposed to have the route that Igor uh, Dyatlov had created and had come up with. However, they didn't have information on that because either it wasn't filed with the local hiking commission or they lost it nobody really knows convenient conveniently yeah. <laughs> it was gone it disappeared even though diatlov was an experienced hiker and had done this before and had left his trails with them before so it's it's odd that he didn't which is part of this whole conspiracy and also speaking of diatlov the person igor diatlov was the leader of this yep. and the diatlov pass is actually just named after him because it was the Dyatlov hiking group. Right, the expedition. Mm-hmm. So technically it's just named after the group that died there. Right, and this is like not having their hiking path, not knowing what trail they're going to take through a mountain range. I mean, that's just someone telling you, go into the mountain range, find these people. <laughs> find them. They were looking for wasteland. this mountain, yeah. which you'll find eventually as well. So that's why they weren't found very easily. It's really not on the... De- like on the investigators or on the searchers in that case, it's just difficult in that terrain and with that information that you have. Right. But when they did find the tent, so the first indicator that something had gone wrong besides the tent being ripped open from the inside was that they found footprints that were either barefoot in socks or had only one boot. Cause yeah, like we said, we'd taken all, they'd taken all of their like shoes off and stuff, which, you know, freaky, but also uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, why, why run out of the tent without your shoes and yeah. without your clothes? All of them, um, too. All night. Yeah, which yeah. Is, it's just bizarre. And I know that a lot of the... Because, you know, if you go with the theory that, like, oh, this is all natural, there was just, you know, hypothermia and everything, there is the condition that happens when you get severe hypothermia where you, like, rip all your clothes off. Yeah. But that doesn't explain all of their clothes already being off in the tent. But, exactly. Yeah. So there were nine sets of tracks that led away from the tent, which meant all of them left. Yeah. And so where all the bodies were technically found, two of them were found next to a makeshift fire in a little set of cedar trees. Uh, That was, I think, the closest one. Yeah. Those were both Yuri's. It was Mm -hmm. Doroshenko and Georgie. And I think, was that the one that they had pieces of their, like, right-hand knuckle had been, like, bitten off or like rip, they'd bitten off their own knuckles I, I i don't remember who had those but there were three of them right there it, i'm pretty sure it was yuri and georgie or the double yuri's that had yeah. that and then it was one of the females as well that was with one of yeah. the other separated groups that yeah. also had it weirdly like they'd, the same exact injury which i don't know if they know that because the piece was still in their mouth or something but they said specifically they'd bitten off their own like a chunk of their own knuckles which Fuck. is I would like, assume, wh- why are you doing that? Yeah, I would assume they would have tested like dental patterns on their hands to see who bit oh, yeah. who, which is yeah. probably how they know that. But it is weird that three people supposedly just bit into their own hands and chewed off. Yeah, what is that? I, th- that I, part I creeps me out. Um, yeah. So there's the two of them that are in by the cedar trees. Right. And then the leader, Dyatlov, was found next. He was found later the same day. And then uh, one of the women, Zina, was found about 300 yards from him, from Dia Love. And then I think this guy's name was Rustic, right? He was the mandolin player. Yeah. He was found another 300 yards between um, Zena and Dia Love. Right. About a week later. Yeah. And I think all four of them, wait, right? No, five. Five of them were faced towards the tent. 
like they were trying to get back up the slope. Or and they something. all, you can see, they took pictures and they have like, you know, animations of the body and they're all in like a scrambling position. Like yeah. it's like they're yeah. trying to crawl their way back. And they're all, I mean, these ones were just frozen. They were definitely, they yeah. died of hypothermia. Yeah, two of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe two of them. I guess I shouldn't say definitely. Doroshenko, <laughs> uh, Yuri Doroshenko and Georgie. They were found by a large cedar tree. And depending on who you ask, you get a different story. Either they were found right underneath the cedar tree, which was relatively close to the fire pit they had made, which was mm-hmm. like re- by relatively close, I mean about six feet away, something like that. Or they were found like 15 feet away near the cedar tree and s- further still from the fire pit. Yeah, And it's a weird thing that we have those two different stories, but either way, the part of the weirdness is that they're not by their own fire pit, which investigators think actually burned out after they died, which means they, at some point after building a fire, abandoned that as well. So that means they've abandoned their own comfort twice, which is really odd to do. Right. Thank you. Yeah. But then, so the last three are for me, like the, the most disturbing mm-hmm. um, because they're found the two is like one of the boys and the girl both had their, t- uh, their eyes were gouged out. And then the girl was missing her tongue. Mm-hmm. And one of them had severe forced trauma to the chest that um, according to an autopsy, they said could not have been caused by an avalanche. They, like the force necessary was not enough by an avalanche yeah. to have caused the damage. Exactly. I think all three of the ones in the ravine actually had some number of ribs broken. Yeah. Yeah. And the the important uh, distinction there that we were given by the uh, medical examiner was a large directional force, meaning that it was something that was intentional that they were hit by. And this is something that you see in many of the bodies, even the ones that just died from hypothermia. That's also a distinction I guess we need to make is that there is, I think there were two that died of hypothermia, but also had just as many blunt force trauma injuries. So even though they died from hypothermia, they were in bad shape already. Yeah. So hypothermia yeah, something them, had previously but, happened. Yeah. Right, and not exactly. to mention like, like again, something had pushed them out of their tent, which would have prevented the hypothermia. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, these three were the weirdest, I think. Because yeah, they were like also wearing, I think the least, or were they wearing the most clothes? Yeah, they were wearing the most clothes. Yeah, but I think one of the things that's also weird is one of the guys, I think it was Sasha, the oldest one, who it's speculated that he was actually wearing one of the other women's clothes. Yeah. Who was missing her clothes. One Just, of them also, which is, that's like what, I've never heard that. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> But one of them was also wearing a watch that had stopped at 8.45, which, like, an avalanche doesn't stop a watch necessarily. Like, I I don't know. I guess you could crush it, but, like, that seems odd. Yeah. One was wearing two watches as well, Mm. which is odd. And There's all kinds of yes. weird little things. The, yeah. the, clothing, the clothing is a big part because they also didn't just find clothing missing from some people and being worn by others. They, as we said, they had no shoes on except for one, which had like a slipper. He had one yeah, he kind had, like, of felt shoe. Slippers on, and but it wasn't his for hikers shoes. in boots. It's weird just to find him in one felt shoe. Yeah, and they didn't just, but they didn't just find the clothing on them. They also found a pile of clothing in the ravine. 
Yeah. Which is also weird to just find a random pile of clothing built up in the... Unless you were, they grabbed their clothing as they left, but they left all of their other belongings, which is right. the other thing. Like they left their journals, they left their cameras, their equipment, like their food, a plate of food just uneaten, but you, what, you grab a pile of clothes with you? Like that makes yeah. no sense. Should we talk about the tent? I think the weirdest thing is that it's cut from the inside out. Yes. So the story with the tent is when it was initially discovered uh, by the rescuers, they, it was like partially buried in the snow. So you only saw like the top of it. So their solution for some reason was to take an ice pick and like slash into it. So they damaged the tent on one side, technically. And upon getting into the tent, you know, we, we already mentioned everything was still there. Their shoes were all lined up at the door like they were going to be ready to go and nothing was touched. And then on the other side of the tent that was buried in the snow, they found after they dug out the tent that it was ripped from the inside out and it was like huge gashes on it. Yeah. Like enough for everybody basically to run out of the one side of the tent at once. And they did an investigation and you can tell, I guess, somehow that it was cut by a knife like deliberately. Right. There's so the way they looked at this, uh, they hired someone professionally to actually like microscopically look at the fabric itself. And essentially, there are two different types of material going through that type of fabric, and they're completely separate types of materials. So, if you have one that is ripped or torn by any wind, then it's going to rip along a certain edge and it's going to rip along a certain fiber. However, if you have one that's intentionally cut, then you have a clean line that tears through all of those different threads, even though they shouldn't tear all at once, which is how they decided or determined rather that they, that someone had cut it open and from the inside as well, just based on the way the cuts were made. Which means something scared these people enough for them to slice open their tent that has a door in it yeah, and run out the side of it. Right. This was something that was kind of, when I was going through this, a little bit of a plot hole for me. because I, So I know that the campers kind of dug their tent into like a lower hole. But the fact that everything mentions it's like, oh, the tent was partially covered by snow, but the footprints were still all there like a yeah. month later is bizarre to me. Yeah, how, we have talked about that several could, times. <laughs> and so it, it makes me wonder if maybe the events didn't happen as cleanly as we think. Like the journals maybe stop at that point, but like maybe something was going, maybe they'd eaten something that was like making them slowly lose their minds over the course of this time. And then eventually when they were missing, they found them and they had just like, like within a couple of days had died rather yeah. than it being like the month that they thought. Because that's, that's always point. been something that yeah. I like, I'd wondered about. I'm like, okay, so the tent's partially covered, but all of the footprints are still preserved enough that you can tell that they were barefoot or in socks or had a boot on. Like, right. I mean, yeah. And another weird one with the footprints, um, we mentioned that the ravine, like they fell into a ravine. They were actually buried under eight feet of snow, but right. you could still find the footprints up to, up to it. So how did they get buried under that much snow? But yeah, their footprints yeah. are still fine. Like it just, the footprints just stop and then there's just a hole? Like what, they just fell into a hole? <laughs> there's also an interesting, to like kind of play off of that a little bit, one of the interesting things as well that we did forget to bring up is, what is her name? Laida and Lyuda. then Sasha, Alexander, and Thibault. They were all the ones that were found inside the ravine and they were also all more heavily decayed than the other ones that were found before. Yeah, which is weird again. Right. Because they're, well, they're like, they were under snow. And so it's yeah. like, that's again, maybe giving credence to the idea that like, 
maybe they had died sooner and the rest of the group had like lived on a little bit longer than we thought. And they were also much further away. Yeah. They, were the yes. they do yes. blame the rushing water for it because the, in theory, the water's microbes would cause you to decay. But it is odd that they were just buried underneath snow where you would Under, think would be frozen. leading up to it. Yeah. yeah. It's like a Scooby-Doo door. It's like, oh, the footprints stop at this wall. Like, oh, wait, wait, where's everyone else? <laughs> Apparently underground. Well, and these yes! bodies, so these bodies were found later. They were found a month later. So I yeah, guess they had more time had to decay. But on top of that, it's also interesting because investigators, when they found the first bodies, they weren't as worried about quickly getting them out and getting them immediately to like evac and being able to look over the bodies before they decayed. However, the second set of bodies that they found a month later, those four, they were in a scramble to get them out as quickly as possible because they were terrified they were going to decay. Even though I've seen the pictures and they're still around just feet and feet of snow. Like you'd think they would bury them or whatever it may be, but they were extremely worried that they were going to lose the bodies. Yeah. So those bodies were definitely decaying faster than the other ones. For some reason, but for whatever some, reason. For, for quote unquote some reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. Allegedly. <laughs> exactly. Allegedly <laughs> is the right word. Yeah. Okay, um, we should talk about the extra items that were found with the group. Because this yeah. is this is where like I think the, the conspiracy threads start to come in. Because up to this point, it's like, whoa, some terrible accident has happened. I mean, yeah, like the tent was weird. Like, but like hypothermia does cause you to rip your clothes off and kind of go crazy. So it's not entirely unreasonable. But then up to this point is kind of where it's like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> conspiracy. I know. Yeah. Conspiracy. What? There were things missing. Which, you know, is kind of fair since they were buried under so much snow and no one knows how they got where they were, so things can get lost along the way. And then there were some things that were extra that nobody brought along with them, supposedly. Apparently the group only had one ice pick, like an axe, and then they found two. And I think most of this comes from Yudin, the guy that survived, because he was tasked with placing materials to each person. And like identifying everything yeah. is there? Yeah, mm-hmm. identifying, that's the word. <laughs> For some reason, the military cloth thing is kind of weird to me. He claims that some of the cloth that was found on the ones in the ravine, I think, mm-hmm. they had some cloths wrapped around their feet that weren't cloth that they had. It was supposedly somehow he was able to tell it was military-related. Well, because yeah. it was... It, I, I made correct me if I'm wrong. I remember it being like a specific color that was like only for the military Uh, that you weren't supposed to wear this color unless you were part of the military. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And then another weird thing is, so there were supposedly seven cameras that they brought with them. They found four and they were all the cameras, you know, that they brought with them, which would mean that three were missing. Right. And then they found an extra fifth one that wasn't on the trip. And that one- didn't match their equipment. Yeah. And the weirdest thing with that one is that's the one you can look up all the pictures. That's the one that has all the weird water damaged, like light phenomenon photos in it. And there's some that look like satellites or a plane or something in one of the shots. Right. And the weirdest thing with the film on that one is it's missing nine frames. Yeah. Of film. And the film was obviously manually cut the way you cut frames out of old film and sewn back together. 
Yeah, and there's so there's some discrepancies with the camera. The cameras ended up becoming kind of a big part of this because, like you said, there were roughly maybe seven. You didn't said that almost all of them had a camera, which the reason why everybody had cameras in this case is because they were trying to document their uh, grade three cert- certification. Yeah. So they were trying to bring back proof that they had done, you know, their tent set up correctly, that they were keeping form while they were hiking, that they were doing all these different things that you're required to have proof of when you get your certification. Uh, the so, so it wasn't strange that there were so many cameras. The weird thing, though, like you said, so there were at least two or three cameras missing. At least. We don't know how many there actually were missing. And the one extra one is one that was only found literally hanging off of his neck. It was hanging off of Sasha's neck and Yudin said that he had never seen it. And that film is also the only film role that's not fully developed. They, we have pictures of the negatives, but some of the negatives weren't developed into photos, which is strange. So if you look at the photos from that camera, which is just considered the unknown camera, even though Sasha had it, it, it's strange that, you see the pictures that are just kind of close-up photos of the negatives themselves. Mm-hmm. You never actually see the photos. Right. That's so weird. it's really weird. And these ones have weird light formations on them. They were water damaged, which could cause any number of effects on these photos. And from what it looks like, only like one of the photos looks like it probably isn't damaged and it's just a strange picture, which is just like a ball of light. So it's hard to say what that is. Yeah. So the cameras are a weird thing. Yeah. And one of the other cameras also had a photo of light as well. Mm -hmm. It's speculated that the camera was either that one of them is basically a lens flare is what it looks like. And what it was kind of decided it was, it was either taken in the technical lab when they were developing the film after they found it, or it was taken accidentally by investigators after they picked it up, or it was taken by the one who had it and they don't know what it is. Because they, you can look at it. We'll put up this photo so people can see because it's hard to describe these. But if you've ever seen a lens flare on a camera, it looks just like a lens flare. The only question that comes out of it is it was taken at night, so the source of light comes into question. Because they have yeah, a lens where, flare. Where is the flare ha- coming from? Right. Yeah. And you have to have a pretty solid source of light to catch that kind of lens flare. So it's really, really weird that it's just there. Yeah. Well, so oddly additionally, in this case, the, there was reports of like lights in the sky from that same night that their journals stopped. Like the the surrounding towns mentioned, you know, there was it, they said something along the lines of like it looked like a triangle with like sparks coming out the back, which like to me sounds like a rocket or something like a I don't know like a missile. Which mm-hmm. I mean I don't really think that there was like a missile that landed here, but definitely like the lights are something that. They did exist. So it's not crazy to think that maybe they caught some of that on the camera, especially because, like, if you have a camera and this is this, some event is happening at night, aren't you going to try to take a picture of it? Like, yeah. Yeah. These people were good at documenting things. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so the entire trip's documented. And it's fair to assume that they would try to get pictures of everything. That was yeah. Happening. And they even. So then, brought... yeah, like you said, Cameron, it becomes a, a test of, like, is it a lens flare or is it something, you know? Right. Yeah. And they'd even brought photos from past expeditions with them as well. They, they found some loose photos that were from a different expedition. So these people were not only like photographers, they were also like photography enthusiasts, especially uh, uh, Dyatlov himself was part-time photographer, part-time radio engineer. So these are people that knew what they were doing. So their photos are not 
poorly taken. They're just kind of strange. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So as far as other missing things, with the bodies that were found by the cedar tree, the branches that were under and around the bodies were obviously cut from the tree nearby. And there was no knife there. And then also the knife that supposedly cut open the tent. There, I mean, there were no knives found. So where are all the knives that cut things open? Right. Yeah, like, well, especially because they proved that it was a knife that came out of the tent. Like, who, exactly. who had the knife? Where are they? As far as the extra items that were found, there were several that were specifically on Sasha. And I don't know if we mentioned before, but he was the last one to join the group. He was a friend of the outlaws, but he was also, like, almost 20 years older than them. He was 37, 38. Roughly, something mm-hmm. like that. And they yeah. were all in their early 20s, like 21 usually. And he had, they had made a pact at the beginning to go the whole time without smoking, which is probably good since you're hiking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they weren't going to drink either to keep their heads straight. And Sasha had snuck in a packet of flavored cigarettes and alcohol. And the only other type of alcohol they had with them on the trip was a very, very small amount of medicinal alcohol. And that's it. And it was never intended, like you said, it was never intended that this was going to be like a drinking excursion. They're trying exactly. to get grade three certification very in professional. inhospitable yeah. land. They're not looking to go out there and get drunk and lose their minds. I mean, they're obviously, like in a lot of the pictures, you can tell they're dicking around. Like one of them brought a mandolin. And they were singing, and there's several pictures of one of them just, like, in snow being obnoxious. Oh, yeah. Their favorite pastime was singing and playing songs, too. That's something they just did. They used to make up their own songs and all these different types of things. Yeah, yeah all their, their journal stuff on the trains are like, we were singing, and we were talking about mm-hmm. kissing, and, like, they're, they're just, <laughs> yeah. like, they're, they're college kids. They're just out having, like, a good time. But they also know what they're doing, so right. they weren't yeah, going to also... get fucked up in the mountains. <laughs> right. Exactly. They, they weren't looking for, like, oh, this is, like, a party trip. They were like, okay, we're going to have fun because we're a group of friends. Some, like, two of them had even dated. It was, it, they were very close-knit. But, yeah, also, it was all about the hike. It was all about the excursion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I wanted to bring up with Sasha, him sneaking in the cigarettes and alcohol also makes me think about the military cloth. And one thing about Sasha's background is he was in the military, so he did have that background. So finding military cloth makes me wonder if he had also brought some of his military clothing with him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's, yeah, that's where it came from. Because it would make sense that the guy who was in the military who has tattoos from the military and is sneaking in cigarettes and alcohol is going to bring other things that people also don't know about. They obviously just didn't yeah. know what he had on him. Well, and it makes sense that Yudin wouldn't know because he was a last minute addition to the group. And so you didn't, he didn't know him. None of them knew him except no. for Dyatlov. Well, yeah, Dyatlov claimed that they were good friends, even though nobody knew that he was even coming on the trip. And they only encountered him on the, one of the trains, I believe. Yeah. So they weren't expecting him to be there So at like, all. I guess it kind of makes sense that he would have shit that they didn't know he had. Yeah, because he, he probably wasn't there for, like, he wasn't as interested in the certification as they were. He was more along it for, like, yeah, sure, like, I'll come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like a joyride for him. I wanted to segue with missing things into yeah. missing body parts. That's what I was going to say, So we mentioned earlier that one of the female hikers, and I think it was Zena. I don't remember. I like her name the best also. She has the coolest name. Yeah. Um, they called her Zena. They all had nicknames. I know. Zeneta was Zena, and Layuda was Lyudmila? No, that was her full name. Lyudmila was her full name. Right. They called her Ludi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the one of the females was missing her tongue. And so the weird thing about this one is, A, 
why is she missing her tongue if she just fell into a ravine? And then like the autopsy report just said missing tongue. They didn't say right, yeah. what missing say, meant. Did she bite it off? Did yeah. she like, was it ripped out by animals? Like, they didn't there, say there's anything. There's many ways a tongue can be missing. There is no distinction whether, like you said, it was bit off from the fall. Somebody cut it out. Was it eaten by animals? Did it just decompose because they were in the water? I mean, and we know that they can tell the different t- kinds of tearing because they, exactly. they knew they bit their knuckles off. They knew they cut the tent. Like, why is this vague? Yeah, I mean, I've read so it was Layuta's tongue, and I've read that it wasn't. There was no indication that it was like a clean cut or anything like that. But I mean, again, like you guys are saying, there's no indication really that it was torn or bitten. All or it anything. says on the autopsy report is missing. Yeah, she's gone. Missing, which, yeah. How much of the tongue is missing? Because tongues also yeah. run into your throat. They don't. They're not just in your mouth. So they. Well, do you run have to. So they check back. that, right? Like they're they're checking to see if there's any tissue back there. I mean, I right. guess they I think that's what autopsy would like, do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. And several of them actually were missing their eyes, which gets seemed seemingly glossed over a lot. And I know you can kind of assume that like maybe an animal did it, but my beef with the animal thing is the whole reason why this is called Dead Mountain is supposedly because the natives in the area call it Dead Mountain just because there's no life on the mountain. Like, there's no plants up there. It's too high up. It's too cold. No animals are really up there. Well, so, yeah, like, what animal pictures, it's like eaten rocks it? and snow. Yeah, there's, there's nothing, nothing there. up there. And so they keep saying that, like, these, these weird decomposition and missing parts and missing skin is just because of animals. But what animals? I mean, they were all the way up there. And why weren't, why weren't other people missing their eyes if there's, like, some animal that's in this vicinity out for eyeballs? You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. wasn't everybody missing their eyes? And then also, you can tell when an animal one has, like, you know, picked out an eye. But also, like, their nose and lips should have also been eaten because animals go for those parts of your face. And maybe they decompose. But, again, you could still tell if it had been, like, pulled off. Yeah. That's what the autopsy report is supposed to be for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, there was just a lot of weird bits missing, like, biologically and, like, belongings-wise. Yeah. The weirdest it- thing that was with the bodies is, so the, the 12-year-old that went to the funerals, he mentioned that when he saw the bodies, he thought they looked odd because they were, like, the color of bricks, is what he said. A red color, the color of bricks. Yeah. And again, people play this off as, like, oh, hypothermia. And I did way too much research on hypothermia <laughs> and frostbite and stuff that I, I – things I never wanted to know. But now that's you. not what happens. Your body first loses its color. It turns white. And then it turns blue and black from the, the burn, the frostbite burn. It never turns red. And not your whole body body like a shade of red that someone could call a brick red like that's so bizarre to me yeah no it's it's pretty gross and the one i'm looking at the photos trying to figure out who the second one is that lost their eyes but i know sasha was one of them the one holding the camera Mm -hmm. and it should also be noted he was in a weird position in general because his hand is also placed upwards like he was holding the camera or at least something at Mm -hmm. some point and it's, it's in like a perfect position to be taking a photo. And this is also the camera that had the film strip that was mysteriously cut, put back together and then put back in the yeah. camera, which is also mm-hmm. strange. If you want to have nightmares, you can go ahead and look up that photo. But he's also yeah. the one missing his <laughs> eyes, which is just kind of a weird coincidence to go along with that. And I never want to see it again. Yeah. I've unfortunately <laughs> been looking at these too Stop many it. times. I know. Uh, like they're, 
the, yeah. they're frozen and they're in snow, but it's still like, no, no. Yeah. And, and they're old film photos, but it's still too much. And Laida <laughs> was one, when they found these bodies in the ravine, they were found in different positions and she was found against the rocks and she's in like this kneeling position, like slumped over. It's just a weird position for a human being to just randomly fall into, into the water. And one of them has like a knee up. It's like they were like laying with like a leg up or something. Like there's just, yeah, all of the body positions are weird. Like we said, the other ones that are crawling towards the tent, like just. That's just horror in itself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So should we move into the government being weird? Um, That's what I'm here for, Allie. The weird (laughs) government. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So once they did finally get the bodies off the mountain, and try to make plans for what to do with them aside from autopsy them. The government was being really weird about what to do with the bodies. The families obviously wanted the bodies back and they were begging for them to get their family members back. The government, for whatever reason, didn't want to give them back. They, their plan initially, very initially, was to just bury them up on the mountain so they wouldn't have to take them down. But uh, because of the weather conditions up there, they weren't able to actually examine the bodies, so they had to at least take them off the mountain. Right. And then they were just going to bury them in the nearby town where none of them were from and where none of their families were. And so they were all pissed about that, obviously, because yeah. they wanted their family members the back. The town of Evedale, which is mm-hmm. the, it's the nearest inhabited town on their expedition. Uh, like we said, the last time they went through was a mining town. It was abandoned. The only person that went there was the guy who brought their stuff on that sled. And he was only there because he was collecting old pipes to use for new buildings. So there, they weren't close to any civilization, but Evedel was the closest. And it was the last place they stayed that actually had humans in it. So the government just said, bury them there. Yeah. Together mm-hmm. in Which one mass weird. grave. They were just going to dump them in a hole and yeah. put up a big pillar for all nine of them. Like, yeah. What? And so they were clearly trying to keep them from their families for whatever reason. And so they just like would not let up on it. None of the families would let up on it. And apparently they were also all told that like each individual family was told that the family before them had already agreed that burying them in Evedale was fine. Right. Which is a total lie because really? all the families hate like it. strong-arming them, them into that. That yeah, exactly. And <laughs> when the families said, "Well, I would like to talk to these other families to see if we can work out something different," they said, "Well, they're all too far apart for us to make that a real thing." That when can most happen. of them lived in the same town. Also, you could do radio communication. Radio exactly. communication was very popular around the time. It would have been easy enough to do. So. So finally, weird, after yeah. they just like the families just wouldn't let up they agreed to let them have their family's bodies back. Wow. Thanks. And, but their deal was that they weren't allowed to have a full funeral procession procession. Um, They were forced to split it into two days. And rather than take the long route through the city that the families wanted to take them through, they were forced to take the absolute shortest route to the cemetery. Just get them there and bury them. So I have my theories. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying really hard to make it like the least amount of onlookers. Yeah. Yes. Well, and additionally, so when they did finally get the bodies down and they were doing the, the autopsies, 
um, the doctor who was doing these, he was initially like very interested in making sure that he did these correct. He wanted to make sure that he was really thorough and just like follow, like really trying to figure out what had happened to people because he understood that it was a really weird thing that had happened. And people that um, knew him like saw how, you know, entrenched he was in just finding this out. And out of nowhere, he classified the files, which like, first of all, sus as hell. And then second of all, he just like lost interest, like overnight was like, nope, I I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't care to talk about it. Not interested. And later he mentions, he doesn't ever say like, yes, I was coerced into, you know, like, not looking at these, but he does say something along the lines of when your government asks you to do something, you do it. And yeah. it's like, um, that's pretty bold, my dude. Like, <laughs> that's a very common Russian theme, actually. A lot of the time, you don't question your government and no. they don't talk about it either. It was a big Soviet era theme, yeah. Yes, yeah, definitely a Soviet, like, communist just respect kind of thing and respect for the party yeah yeah and this happened twice in the case because it happened when he was originally talking about the lights and he was investigating all of this Mm -hmm. and then it happens the second time when he's investigating radiation in the bodies Mm -hmm. yeah so like like you said he randomly classifies classifies and closes it and he that's where the just the unknown compelling force thing comes from because, like, he doesn't really finish an investigation. He's just like, I don't really know. They're dead. That's yeah. It. And that it just is closed. I don't want to portray him that way, though, because that's not really what happened. But Well, no, but I mean, he like... Didn't, he didn't close down the case because he didn't want to figure it out. And because I didn't say he didn't, didn't want to figure it out. It just, I don't want to portray <laughs> him like that. This is a man who... This is the only case he didn't solve mm-hmm. in his entire career. His only unsolved case. And the only reason why he backed off was because he had been asked too many times by the government to consistently back down. Uh, Like we said, he classified files, uh, radiation on the bodies, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will. Uh, Another weird fact. He he closed the case. So he investigated for radiation because of what he had heard about the missiles. (laughs) And regardless, regardless of what the government told him to do he was still kind of looking into things secretly on his own and one of those things was radiation he wanted to see if the bodies were radiated just because he knew about ballistic tests in that area um and the reason why he knew anything about the missile theory is because the prosecutor that actually like went up on the mountain um he had heard the stories of or he he was the guy that got the allegations that everybody had seen the orbs of light that same night right And so the prosecutor is the guy who really believed in the orb theory. And so he thought it was a missile or like, I guess he also had UFO ideas in his mind. And up until he was also told to back off, um, he's the one that got the idea in the, um, the doctor guy's head that there was missiles involved maybe. Right. Yeah. So the, the lead investigator though, he, so he calls for, an investigation on the radiation of the bodies. Uh, he, it takes a couple weeks to get that. It's not like an immediate thing. And he ends up getting the test results a day after he actually ends up closing the case. Ah. He was basically <laughs> kind of forced into closing. Mm-hmm. And that's why he put, what was his final conclusion? 
What was the exact oh, phrasing? The unknown compelling force. Yeah, the unknown compelling force. He, in his own words, later on when he was allowed to talk about it a little bit more, uh, twice when he was interviewed later on, he said that he chose unknown compelling force because had he put anything else, then there's a good chance there was no possibility of investigation later. Whereas what he was really hoping for was, was unknown like compelling force. Right. It was just enough to leave it open so mm-hmm. that if someone found any new information, anything at all, you could go back and re look at it and reinvestigate it. Even if that wasn't him if the, as the person who got to do it. And he did say near the end of his life, uh, when even more files were declassified from the government way later down the line, he did say that he was very much compelled by his government to not talk yeah. at mm-hmm. all. And that's, that was the only time he could even speak about it though. And that was near the end of his life that he was able to say that. So right. yeah, this was a man who like, I feel really bad for him because he tried his hardest. A lot of times in cases like this, you don't see that where you see them actually give up and where they just don't want to do it or whatever. And he's someone who, I mean, he spent like weeks and weeks out there on that mountain. Yeah. He probably plays. Yeah. I mean, he's, he spent weeks out there, which is probably why they didn't want him to work on it because they knew that he was good. Yeah. Yeah. Can I talk about the radiation? Yeah, we can talk about the radiation. So let's talk about that thing that he got the day after he closed the case. So this is another really weird thing that sparks a lot more of the, the theories around this case. Um, I want to point out to you that we watched a BuzzFeed video on this where some (laughs) guy in it was trying to like, I don't know, flex his science knowledge. knowledge because when the guy was like, oh, there was a lot of weird radiation on the bodies, he was like, what kind of radiation? Well, I can tell you what kind of radiation. (laughs) I also just want to say that we don't use BuzzFeed as an official source on this podcast. (laughs) Just sometimes they pop up with the only video you can find on YouTube, so you watch it quickly. You take yeah. it with a grain of salt. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so the weird thing, they did find radiation on the bodies. Um, they're actual, so they tested the bodies that they had. So they had already buried the first five members that they found. Mm-hmm. And then later when they found the ones in the ravine, they tested those bodies. They had organs from the previous ones, so they tested bodies and organs for radiation. They found uh, levels of potassium-40, but that's potentially just a naturally occurring isotope. So that one's not really like all that weird, but it is a little bit of radiation. Um, But then the weird part is their clothes contained more than twice the normal amount of beta particle contamination, which is a specific kind of radiation. And um, one of the things with that too is this was after they had been soaking in the river and in the slush for weeks. So it was initially probably way higher levels because it was probably runoff. Yeah. So what what would cause radiation on them in the she middle of nowhere? Yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty much all the clothing they tested too had radi- had levels of radiation that were extremely abnormal. I think and, the one with the highest amount of radiation was Leuda. Yeah. The one missing her tongue. Which shit. I... Yeah. In, in the book we read, one of the theories was that it had to do with two of them working at a nuclear facility in the past, but it had been a while. They were way high levels of and radiation. And was not one of the ones that was working mm-hmm. in the facility. So... Well, 
And would it have specifically been on her clothes unless those clothes were the ones she wore exactly. in the facility? Exactly. Like, I don't know. Maybe she wears her hiking clothes in the facility. That's yeah, she does. Herself. She's really committed. Yeah. She never, yeah, never takes them off. Doesn't she's wash them. The just wears them all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's the one that got shot in the leg and kept going. So was, maybe she's just that adamant about hiking. All right. I'm going to solve this for you all. Are you ready? Okay. Aliens. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> It's obviously it's the the only answer so the funny thing with the the russian government the soviet union their levels of radiation that are like considered normal are a little bit higher because like you said there are people that work with radiation so that was about i don't know the exact measurement it was like five thousand something particles per some square centimeter 5,000 particles per 23 seconds of decay. Okay, yeah. yeah. But their clothes had over 9,000 particles, which is more or almost twice. And twice that, the, like, the Soviet Union limit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Exactly. And that <laughs> so, was after sitting in a running creek for roughly a month. Yeah. Which yeah. is also, that's a lot of time. And water can pick it up and run it off of you. Right. So they said that they think that the amounts were way higher, possibly like in the 15,000 range. Were these, these were only on the clothes that I assume that the people that were wearing clothes or was it found on more than just the three in the ravine? What I read is that in multiple places is that it was found on the articles of clothing that they tested, which means I assume they probably tested some of what was on people. And I'm assuming they also tested some of that pile that they found. Because if if there's river runoff, it's not impossible to think like maybe there's contamination in the river, but if it's not on all of them that weren't touched by the river, then that's... That's a little more compelling. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of where did this radiation come from, there's the lights theory, which, of course, people are like, it's aliens. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like this one is really probably not aliens. No. Sometimes I'm like, maybe it is. But this time I'm not even willing to, like, entertain it. Yeah. Maybe Cam is, I guess. Spoiler. I'm not. (laughs) I, um, I also, like, there are many theories in this one, but this is not one that I think has any grounding whatsoever. No, it's like they found the radiation thing and then the reports of lights in the sky, and they were like, obviously aliens. Yeah. But, I don't know. So a lot of the, the witnesses of this said they saw fire orbs in the sky. That's the way a lot of them, a lot of them describe this. And so we already talked about the prosecutor who this was his theory. Like, he thought that the orbs were something that were the direct cause of the hikers' deaths. He didn't know how, but it was, like, the only weird thing, you know, that he was like, this is probably definitely what caused it, but I don't really know what it is. This is a time right before the Cold War, right after World War II, where they were testing missiles and testing, you know, weapons and... Doing it quietly. Exactly. As secretly as possible, just like we were in America, uh, trying to not tell anything to anybody so that nobody could leak it to the other country. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really think it's far-fetched to assume that somebody shot off a missile test and it like maybe blew up in the sky above them and that would potentially rain down the radio- radioactive material over them, which would be why it's only on their clothes. This is just my theory. <laughs> But, like, the missile theory is a theory. It's just whether or not it hit the mountain somewhere or what any of that is. And, yeah, and and if that is what happened, why is there no 
other damage, like, you know, proof of that? Why was there no damage caused by that? There's no evidence that a missile actually hit anywhere. Yeah. Which is why I'm like, well, maybe they exploded in the air over them, you know, because it's like fireballs in the sky. Yeah, that's, I guess that's not impossible. But I mean, I don't think it's impossible to just like, I don't think it's fair to rule out the fact that maybe there were undocumented missile tests going on. Yeah, absolutely. In the rural mountains of Well, the especially because um there there is um an old abandoned like village kind of thing where the military used to house prisoners to use as labor for lumber, like right around there. So it's yeah. not unreasonable to think that there's some sort of actual militaristic base nearby. Yeah, and I mean both in America and I'm assuming other places, there's a lot of stuff undocumented and extremely classified that nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have the Freedom of Information Act here. They sort of have something similar there, but like, I don't know how how well. And during this that time, <laughs> like, definitely not. No I mean, one now. Was, even, no, like, I don't know how that. much has actually been released. Oh yeah. Um, Still keeps getting released. I know, exactly. So, like, in the it, 90s, we had a bunch of stuff released. Yeah, and see, like, so for the U.S., we had a bunch of stuff released, and so did the, so did Russia in the 90s. That's also when that was their, their big breakthrough. However, just like the U.S., what they did is they released files to the public if the public was willing to go look into those files, which means if you wanted to know about something like MK Ultra you had to go search for something about MKUltra. They were not just going to give it to the public because they wanted to know it. Right. You had to go do your own research, dig through years and years of files, which is hundreds of thousands of files. Mm -hmm. And the Russian government did this, except for they hid theirs even better to the point where like (laughs) the archivists and historians in that country have just recently stumbled upon documents pertaining to this case particularly. Uh, Mm -hmm. in 2019 so another two decades later and they're still finding well because this was in like the late 90s but another decade later and there are two decades later they're still finding information that they had already been searching for right so yeah so it's available to the public but it's not like here's a table of contents of all the shit we just released it's like throwing (laughs) a giant fit and being like here have Mm -hmm. what you want but you still can't have it entirely. It's kind of like when they let them have their have their burial of all the different people not in Evedel. So they brought them to the city that they wanted to bury them in, like around their friends and family. But they let them have a smaller procession. Right. So it's like they're they're you kind can do of, it, but we're doing it our way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes sense if if the government knew they were irradiated. Like, you're not going to want to maybe parade that through, yeah, the town center where it's going to possibly touch other people. Yeah, and there was, another, like- there was another piece to that, too, where the final bodies, the Air Force uh, was called in to, like, helicopter them out, but they refused. They were like, we are absolutely not bringing those bodies on this plane. And they and were like, was, why? And he was, was like, only, I'm not going to tell you. It was basically. only the last four bodies. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a problem with the other ones. The other ones didn't go in coffins, but the uh, the pilot of the helicopter specifically for the last four bodies rec- or refused until they had a, what was it, zinc-lined yeah. coffin so that biological chemicals could not seep out of the bodies. Which, like, why would you request that? Unless yeah. you knew something was... They had like, already done it. Five bodies out. Exactly. You've taken yeah. five bodies out and yeah. you don't want to take out four more? 
Yeah, so they had to wait like two extra days to even get those bodies out. It took four days. Oh, that's right, because they had to order the coffins, get them sent in, put the bodies in, put them on the helicopter, fly them out while they were decomposing that entire time as well. Yeah. 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 So the government knew something. Right. Something. Right. All right. Can I talk about the theories or at least list them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's five theories that we kind of pegged as the top five because there's Mm -hmm. actually more than 75, which (laughs) no way, no way. (laughs) But so the first one is the one that the Russian government actually put out, which is that it was completely natural causes, that it was, you know, panicked induced by hypothermia. There was an avalanche to cover the other bodies and that explains it. And then yeah, animals taking the other pieces and what have you. So all things that could be easily explained away in nature. Um, The second one is that the native tribe, the, is it Mansi? Mansi? They... Mansai, yeah, mate, that, that sounds right. The Mansai, <laughs> um, they, they uh, you know, speculated that maybe they murdered the hikers because they were on their sacred land or something, or there was even reports that they used to take, like, magic mushrooms when they were going to do a hunt to make them more ferocious and maybe, like, in this kind of high that they murdered them, something like that. The third one is you know, the Cold War military cover-up that we've been kind of discussing this whole time, that there was some sort of incident that happened and whether that's like there were actually soldiers there or it was a missile or anything like that. Some of the theories with this one also believe that the bodies didn't actually, the, the hikers didn't die in this spot, that they were killed elsewhere and then helicoptered back in so that they could have like an easy excuse to say, oh, this was, it was a natural causes, which I mean, mm. I don't really buy into that, but that is no. what they put. So I don't know. <laughs> the fourth one is kind of the one that's, I, I would say like almost the most famous one to come out of this is the Yeti that like, because the tent was ripped, you know, into like it was shredded. They ripped out. They ran out of the tent. Something, you know, scared them. And then the the blunt force to one of the hikers, um, where they were like, "Oh, it couldn't have been an avalanche. Maybe it was a beast, the yeti. I don't know." And then the fifth one is is it infrasound? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the fifth one is infrasound effects causing mass panic and impaired judgment, which is kind of along the lines of the hypothermia. Like, they just went crazy and, like, basically killed themselves by escaping their tent and ripping their clothes off, burning their hands on the fire and stuff like that. But yeah, so each of these has, like, its merits in it, but I think each of it has its flaws. So I think the thing with all of these is it's, it, it's not going to be just one answer to this, right. this case here. I think it's just a conglomeration of a bunch of mishaps. Yeah. Right. Something happened that got them out of their tent. I think that's the biggest mystery here is right, yeah. why what, did they leave the tent? Initially? Without shoes. All of the shoes were in there. That always gets me. I'm like, you leave without your shoes? In sub-zero you temperatures. It was like negative 25. so fucking scared to not at least like slip your shoes on, you know, the crappy way that. and like, <laughs> like run out in the snow. Yeah. You, you, yeah, like they on here it's like if you have to go pee, it's like, oh man, I I I'm gonna piss myself like put on your shoes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a really weird thing that these people who spent such a long time preparing for everything, including you know, like this is a place where uh for instance in one of the, in the book that we read for this, they he was talking about 
like he went on a hike to go look at where all of this had happened. And one of the things he was told is sew matches into your jacket as well. That way you like always have them. And that's the type of preparation that these hikers did as well. Like they were ready for anything. It wasn't just in the jacket. They had matches sewn into all of their clothes, like their long johns, everything. Yeah. They're very cautious. So for them to just bust out of a tent through a poorly cut hole yeah. In, and they dealt with like bears and stuff before. There's right. no way that this it's like, oh no, there's a bear outside the tent. There's no way. No. I mean, yeah. one of them charged a bear with a with a geologist's hammer, which it's is nothing. Not the type of weapon you use to fight a bear. So, um it's it's I not like to, these were people that were scared easily. I want to talk about these supposed natural causes here. Mm-hmm. Um so the avalanche, first of all, there's absolutely no way it was an avalanche. Um, just as far as the, the geography of this area, the mountain is not sloped enough to cause an avalanche. There's never been a recorded avalanche in that area. And no. definitely not since 1959. Well, since and there was no avalanche. evidence of an avalanche. There was nothing to indicate that an avalanche had occurred. Like, yeah, yeah footsteps up to the edge. <laughs> Or they just happen to walk into an avalanche. Yeah, and so the, the science of that is the slope is not big enough to start an avalanche, and then it's actually really flat for a while. Yeah. For several hundred yards, it's very flat, which would stop the avalanche if it actually did happen. Even, and then it's not. There's not a really a slope after that either to to cause anything. Even, so even if an avalanche had occurred by some crazy crazy wind or something like that, had pushed any kind of force like that, it would have stopped before it reached their tent. Yeah. So they would have been brushed by snow, but I mean, it wouldn't have they definitely nothing. wouldn't nope, have no been way buried by it. No, like yeah. afraid enough to be pushed out of their tent. Yeah. So, and then my other beef is the high winds. Um, mm-hmm. They know, or they knew beforehand that this area is prone to extremely high winds, like winds enough to knock somebody off the mountain. So they were very careful they actually had done the tent just right. They had dug it so far into the ground that it was never going to be blown away. And actually, when they found the tent, they still had skis sticking out of the ground. Like, nothing was knocked over. The poles holding the tent up were not knocked over. Everything was fine. And so, like, one of the theories is that somebody, like, went out to go pee or something or grab something from outside, and the... 90 mile per hour winds that can happen up there knocked him off the mountain. And so they all ran out to go save him. But like, why would all eight of them run out to save one person with no shoes? That doesn't make any sense. It just sounds no. like a bad slapstick. Comedy. And like, why would you, right. cut, <laughs> why would you cut one the after another? Apart? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and they're just getting whipped up like a kite. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, you would think that if that happens, they are, they're all level headed enough to remember oh, let me put on my shoes and clothes mm-hmm. and a jacket so I don't die out there trying to get my friend off the side of the mountain. Yeah. It, that one just makes no sense at all. No. You can't just well, blame the winds. And if you're going to like blame hypothermia, again, like the bodies were red. Why, why, the, why the fuck were they red? That's mm-hmm. not caused by wind and an avalanche. Like, <laughs> no, and the damage to them, like Cam, I think, said earlier, was not caused by just falling down and being buried no. in an avalanche. That was, nope. It was way more trauma than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there are like some other factors that go into that too. Like they had enough time 
one of the things I don't think we mentioned is what they call the ravine area where they found the four of the people that were more decomposed. They call that a den. And the reason why they called it a den is because it looked as though it had been scraped out into a makeshift shelter. That is one of the theories that crops up. Hmm. Um, it, it's not talked about in the book that we read, but it is one of the theories that's cropped up in the investigation is it's like they had enough time to rush down there and then enough self-awareness to like build something around them a little bit, which again, doesn't, doesn't work with any of the psychotic theories. It's weird. Yeah. It doesn't work with them going crazy. So just another right. factor there. Yeah. And like yeah. also the Mansi Mansi tribes, they, <laughs> there's no way they murdered anybody. No. They're, they're known to be yeah. an extremely peaceful, kind, hospitable people. Um, and actually there was another hiking group up there around the same time, just on a different path. And they had actually just gone through one of the Mansi settlements and had tea with them. So like... At, mm-hmm. the, at around about the same time, the Dyatlov Pass excursion would have been going on as well. Exactly. Because it actually got confused at first by investigators. They thought that the Dyatlov expedition had gone through the Mansi tribe. Whereas, right. in fact, it was, it was a completely different, yeah. different group of people. So, and the group of people that went through with, and had tea with them, with that tribe is also the same group that had two members that saw lights over the Diatlov area yeah. mm-hmm. um, a couple nights later. Yeah. But there's just, there's no way the Mansai did anything. No. They just, like, and they the were actually, thing they even did was just herd reindeer. Like, they were yeah. ferocious hunters. They were also, they were the only reason that they were really able to find the bodies, specifically mm-hmm. the ones later, because they were helping look for them because they know the area and they were, you know, they were so used to like being in those places that they were really the only reason that they were able to find those last three bodies. Yeah. The Yeti one is dumb. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. The Yeti one <laughs> is terrible. Like I get it. It's really fun to be like, oh, something ripped into the tent. And the first time you hear this, you're like, it's a Yeti. It's a fucking Yeti. But like, it, when you add in all of the other stuff, it doesn't make sense. No. It does have its merits with like, like, yeah, the, the blunt force and the eyes being ripped out and the tongue being ripped out and like everyone running out of the tent, like, because they were, something unexpected happened. Yeah. Like, right. sure. I see those things. But like, but like one of the other things too, that one of the pieces of evidence that it's a Yeti is that. From the Discovery Channel, which made a whole no episode about it. No, I had another piece of evidence. Oh, you were talking about a different one. <laughs> um, they, as a joke, since all these these college kids just like to dick around in their free time, they had written a fake newspaper. Oh, yes. And <laughs> it was hilarious. But there's a line in there that a lot of things, I think, blow out of proportion. Yeah. Where when translated to English, it says, I now, or we now know that the snowman exists out here. And it's between the Ural Mountains and whatever the, the peak was called. Yeah. And I think it probably just, they were just talking about themselves. And it's just yeah. a weird translation to English because they are the snowmen. They're out there in the snow. They might have just been making up stories. They had been doing that. Yeah, that too. It was a joke. They anyway. had multiple fake newspaper things they were doing where they were making up these stories and being dumb with each other because <laughs> that's what they had to do out there in the middle of the wilderness where it's freezing cold. Yeah, yeah. So, they're just having fun, yeah. yeah they had a sports section, apparently, that said the world record for um, stove assembly was like an hour and 20 minutes. God damn it. <laughs> That's so funny. 
but they had a lot of great little things in there. But I don't think that's that's not a Yeti. That's by no, no means like evidence. And if you were to try to be like, well, maybe it is a Yeti, there's no proof of, there's no sightings ever mentioned other than like, oh, there's, you know, blunt force trauma. There's nothing like that. No one in the area ever saw anything or even to this day has seen anything. It's not like the Sasquatch stories that kind of, you know, are pervasive throughout the Pacific Northwest and stuff like that. Nothing like that. Not even polar bears mentioned in this area. Like, not nothing to like, convince you that it's possible right and that's what i was going to say so the so the Dyatlov pass itself is oftentimes the original name which i am not even going to try and pronounce uh the original name but it tra- it translates to people translate it to uh the mountain of the dead however that's an incorrect translation a more appropriate mm-hmm. translation is dead mountain and i think i mentioned that earlier which yeah it has to do with the idea that there is no life in that section. There's nothing there. I also read something that said that the the translation of the I don't know, I don't think it was the mountain, but like the area they used to say it was, yeah, like Death Mountain, like was the area around it, but it's actually translated to like Mountain of the Swirling Winds or something, according to the tribe that lives there. Yeah. So there's like so many things that it's not. <laughs> well, and, it's all just sensationalized for the story yes, exactly. a lot of the time. And to play, so to play more with the Yeti, so like what I thought Allie was going to go into, Discovery Channel made an hour long or hour and a half long documentary. <laughs> documentary. Loosely documentary. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, they made this about the Yeti, the killer in the mountains over there, right? I can't remember what it is. It's like Yeti, the killer lives or something like that. And it has to do with them going to find the Yeti based on one of the photos in the group's pictures of what is Thibault or Thibault messing around consistently. And then there's a photo of him in the distance behind some trees and he's completely silhouetted out. And he looks like your typical bad Yeti picture or Bigfoot picture or whatever. They literally based an entire documentary around this. It's so dumb. And then the, the previous pictures, <laughs> like literally the preceding pictures of like 16, 15 and 14, because that was the 17th on the camera. You can see him just throwing around snow. He's running around the camp. He's just being like the complete clown that everyone described him as. Which is, I, I don't know why the Discovery Channel decided to do I know. this documentary. All I have to do is it. look at the photos around it, and it's just obviously him fucking around in Context the clues, people. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but I will say, forgetting about the Discovery documentary, that the Ural Mountains themselves, that area, it does have Yeti sightings, not the area that they were in. Okay. That area has none because, again, it's devoid of life. There's no reason for a giant creature that needs food to be in an area that has not even trees that are knee-high. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's no reason for a Yeti to be there. However, in the surrounding thousands of miles that those mountains are, because they're huge, there are a lot of Bigfoot sightings. And, in fact, even the Russian military has spotted, uh, or Yeti sightings, even the Russian military has spotted the Yeti in like they spotted one in 1946 and 1947. They said they had a battle with one in like 1949 or something like that. And as we've discovered from this whole thing, the Russian military is definitely a good source of information. Oh yeah, they're (laughs) the most trustworthy source. Definitely. Picture Putin riding a bear. So just that that makes me think of. Anyway, so there is reason to suspect Yetis in the area. Yetis have nothing to do with this though at all. There's no Yeti in this case. 
I can say that one a hundred percent certain. Uh, one we didn't talk about that I did add to the end uh, here is Sasha was a spy. There's not a lot that makes sense about this one. People claim that Sasha was a spy sent by the military to, for some reason, track this group and eventually to kill all of them. Yeah, this group of rowdy teenagers, basically. But he died too. Yeah. yeah. So I don't understand why he would have died as well. Yeah. Unless he's just really that bad at his job. We could pretty much throw out the Sasha intentionally did something. Uh, idea there is there are some people that think that he had a falling out with uh, Dyatlov because Dyatlov was known as kind of like a dictator personality he was very much it's my way or it's my way and there is literally nothing else (laughs) so there's a chance that the hiking guide and very experienced hiker that Sasha was wouldn't have gelled well with him so some people think there was infighting between them and from the group's journals there was some infighting between members every now and then but nothing to assume that they would have just like straight up murdered each other. So I don't know if that's really too realistic of a scenario. I'm almost more willing to go with the Yeti on that one. I mean, maybe it's like a conglomeration of everything, right? Like they're in the tent, there's fighting. Sasha pulls out like a gun or something that they didn't know that he'd had. They all take off out the snow and then, you know, preceding other events then happen. So like, sure, yeah. so, like, he pulls out the gun because they're about to have a fist fight. Yeah. Everyone runs away. He gets out. The Yeti grabs the gun. He runs from the Yeti. The Yeti exactly. now has a gun and is running and chasing them through the darkness. As the other ones are then running in an avalanche. Like, they're moving with the yes. avalanche down the ravine. Yeah. And the whole time, just orbs of light everywhere yeah, no, showing missile, their position. Missiles are actually yeah. just flying overhead, crashing into each other. Like they're, And it's just raining radiation on them. You heard they're it first. Just, this yeah. is conspiracy. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's totally. I, I think we figured it out. We got about the infrasound. Oh yeah. Well, obviously it was the infrasound making the yeti crazy in the first place. Yeah. Well, yeah. So he thought he and could use a gun. The group that was closest to the tent, they were like, you know, we could probably be friends with this yeti, but then they got struck by the infrasound too, and then it just it all went downhill from there. There you go. So speaking of infrasound, for realsies. <laughs> And that's why they didn't have the clothes on, because the Yeti was just, like, hugging them around the campfire, and, like, they were good. Oh, my God. <laughs> we'll figure this out. Solved. Speaking of infrasound. Yes. Speaking of it. There is a theory coming out of the book that we read. By Donnie Icar. Yes. Um, called? Dead Mountain. Dead Mountain. The true story of something. Something well, the like D- that. The Pass. They, yeah. they, they did pass, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, his prevailing theory is that infrasound caused all of their mass panic and made them all, I don't know, run out into the wilderness and freeze. What causes infrasound? So he, I mean, he did actually take this to a bunch of atmospheric science in Boulder, scientists in Boulder. Part of the NOAA. Yeah. Yeah. And he gave them pictures of like the mountain and like the rock nearby. And I guess... What I gathered from how infrasound happens is it has to roll off of a symmetrical formation. And so the friction causes like whirlwinds, basically, that create frequencies that are so low, you can't actually hear them. Like you don't register that you can hear them, but it causes a lot of ailments. Like people can, in severe cases, lose their minds. And does it happen to everyone? No, that's another thing. <laughs> um, so it can cause like stress and anxiety 
and just like a sickness to the stomach, basically just anxiety in general. Yeah. But actually, when you look at the tests that they have actually done on infrasound, it only happens to a certain percentage of people. Like it doesn't actually affect 100% of people that come into contact with infrasound. Right. And this is kind of like, so this is the reason why they say that you don't want to live right next to like um, those big windmills because those create infrasound and it can be damaging to your health. So these scientists basically took a look at the top of the peak that they were nearby and it's, it's a perfect dome. So they think that the severe winds coming off of that cause insane infrasound. And caused by a Carmen vortex, which yeah. is a rush of wind that is often accompanied by infrasound. However, it's also often accompanied by destruction because the wind yeah, is so powerful. It's like basically a tornado. Yeah. But like, then again, there is no evidence that there was a tornado up there either because yeah. footprints. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I like, mean, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that maybe something like this happened to one or a couple members of the group, but for to be like nine exactly. out of nine All is of surprising. Now. Yeah. And then even if it happened to like a couple of them and those, those people take off out of the tent, right? Like they're sprinting away barefoot and naked, like whatever. Again, why does no one else put on their fucking shoes to go after them? Exactly. And that was my thing with this too, is that part of the theory is that those winds coming off that mountain would be such like such a range of frequency that it would sound like a freight train was like two freight trains were reeling by the tent, which yeah. would scare them into madness. But like these people, they've been out in the middle of nowhere before with weird sounds. And I feel like they wouldn't just like rip open the tent and run away. No. At the first yeah. thought, like and at the first sight of a weird sound. Again, it doesn't the, happen. The author of this no. book, he, I mean, in my mind, like, I actually really liked the book. Uh, if you want to read it, I would definitely recommend it. But uh, he, in my mind, goes against his own theory by showing the test that they did. The, what they did is they did a theater test with music, and they had live music played, and two of the songs in there had secretly infrasound in them. So they didn't tell the audience this was going to happen. They just kind of did a lab rat test. And 22% of the people they tested had ill effects However, none of them had psychosis. No. So yeah, 0% and, and ran away. what does ill effects mean? Like, how did they, did afterwards, did they ask them, hey, did that sound make you feel, like, queasy at all? Or, like, well, like how, yeah. how are you testing yeah. that? They, they asked everybody, like, how they felt during certain songs, both infrared and regular. And what they basically got were the 22% often said that they were drawn back to, like, an emotional memory or something like that, which that's, like, the furthest it really got. A few people got, like, chest pains but nothing that is going to make you bolt out of a tent well, I mean, like, in negative 20 degree weather. No. Part, of the, part of the theory of that is the mountain is a lot bigger than an infrasound cannon. Right. So like they think that it hit it just right to cause severe infrasound interference. Right. I but mean, like, like I kind of want to believe this cause it's a really neat kind of theory though. Like yeah. just the way the mountain shape, but like also why hasn't it happened to other hikers? Yeah, and someone else brought up, like, it sounds, like, I was looking at reviews of the book, and one, what one person said is it almost sounds, like, a little disrespectful to the hikers themselves, too, because, like we've said multiple times, That's true, yeah. they're extremely experienced. I mean, these aren't people that are idiots. They're not, as we've, as we've said, there's nothing to prove that it can cause psychosis, either. Exactly. So that's pretty much the only way and I like would we keep believe saying, they would have ripped out of the tent. all of them. No, no not yeah. all of them, for sure, at the very so. most. That's the At the very most, like, two yeah. with the percentage that that would be, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And then the rest of them would probably be able to keep them inside 
And yeah. Then, you know, the rest would keep them just under like control. calm them down because it doesn't immediately make you insane. Like, no, that's that's not like what I understand it to be. Is it? It sounds like it's you get uncomfortable and maybe yeah, you can have some like really negative mental effects, but you're not immediately just like you have no capabilities at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so his theory was that they just ran out into the night naked and froze to death. But like that really just does not cover 80% of the evidence. No, no, no. Um, And then, so in kind of current day, Cameron, you mentioned that in 2019, they kind of, they brought, they brought this back to the light. So Russia reopened the investigation and they were like, Hey guys, we're going to figure out what happened. But then immediately after doing that, they say, there is no reason to believe that this was like any sort of military involvement or anything other than a natural disaster. And we are only here to figure out the natural causes for what happened, which strikes me as bizarre. Like you set out as, okay, we're going to set the record straight. We're going to figure out what happened, but we know what happened. Like, what? I just, it's, I don't know. I think at this point, it's just obviously something that the government knows and we don't. I mean, the the government's stance on this in Russia is still that it was an avalanche. Yeah. That's what they're just saying. It's like, that is the least plausible theory. No. It's so, it just doesn't make any sense for it to be an avalanche. And if it was an avalanche, like only three of them were found under the avalanche. Yeah. Their tent wasn't found under the avalanche. The other hikers weren't under an avalanche. Like, there's no way yeah i mean two of them were able to gather branches which who knows how long it took to climb a tree in the freezing cold cut down a bunch of branches with like a pocket knife that had a saw on it yeah put them into a fire fire, create a fire have time to then move several feet away from the fire i mean it that the avalanche theory just doesn't seem to make any sense. Plus, again, the tent's not destroyed. It wasn't destroyed I mean, by an avalanche. And Clearly, the they've never seen Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> the two that cut down branches weren't wearing very much either. And I mean, like, I just try to think of, like, in the winter, if I tried to, like, go outside and do something in, like, shorts no. and a tank top, I would not be able to function. And that's only in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, it was, like, negative yeah, like 20 something. a windy something. mountain? No. No, he would freeze. Yeah. So, I don't. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> this theory is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, the the most popular theory in terms of like winding down on this case is that the government had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which. So one of the most important things that has come out of the 2019 thing is they found papers or documents uh, that were letters written to one of the main investigators on the case. Uh, they are dated from one was dated from like February 3rd and the other one was dated from like February 6th or something like that. But in any case, they're dated before anyone went to go look for the hikers. And it's just letters that have been, uh, what's the word for it? Authenticated. Yeah. Thank you. That have been authenticated. And they show that the government was already looking into the hikers case, into the dead hikers case, as the letters say, before anyone else had even started searching for them. so Before, before they the knew uni- they were missing. Before the <laughs> university even knew that they were missing and sent well, like, anyone there. Like we said earlier, they weren't due to be back until like February 14th or something. Right. So they, I mean, they were technically missing for two weeks. Yeah. But well, then yeah, this letter- they started the search like February 20th or something yeah, like that. It was like the end of the were up on the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. 
But this letter implies that they knew on like February 6th, which was like four days after they were dead. And 20 days before anyone found the tent even. So it's really odd that the the government had these just kind of squirreled away somewhere where they weren't showing people. So how did they know? Right. Because it wasn't even until like two weeks later that they started to assume that they were missing. Yeah. And in 2015, one of the cases I read said that uh, one of the original investigators, his boss was actually, at the time when he was investigating this case, his boss was still alive in 2015. And he wanted to actually reopen an investigation into the case. And he wanted to go there personally and look at it himself. He was stopped by agents sent from Moscow directly that told him he was not allowed to look into it and that he needed to stop. So the, the amount of times the government has stepped in and involved in this case, mm-hmm. it's, it's nearly impossible to believe that they didn't have something to do with it. Yeah, like they, they've, they're all over this. They're classifying the files, refusing to move bodies. Like there's just too many things that add up with the government that no matter how much they say, they want to say they weren't involved, like minimum, minimum, like they at least knew something before the rest of everyone else, right? right. Like... Even if it was something bizarre, like they knew. Yeah. Exactly. And um, another thing, did we bring up the fact that the, how do you say his name? Kansevich? Yuri Kansevich. Kansevich. Yeah. Um, when he was a child and like he saw the funeral procession go by his apartment, um, I guess he also noticed that there were a lot of like men standing around that like blended into the crowd but had zero emotion on their face. They weren't watching what was going on. They were watching the people involved. Right. And so the theory is that they had KGB there, like All keeping an eye on everything. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. And I went back and I looked at the photo that the book had in it, the two photos that the book had in it. And in one of those photos, there are just like two guys in that crowd. Everyone else is crying and like sobbing their eyes out. You can see it on their faces. There's just two completely stoic guys in that crowd that are just kind of there and just kind of looking, which if I didn't have the story from Kinsevich, I wouldn't think anything of it necessarily. But it is weird that he says that, and then I go look at the photo, and there is... And for a kid to notice. Like, how many kids are like, man, there's a lot of, like, men here that don't seem to be involved in this. Like, as a kid, no. I was like, oh, my God, a dead body, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I don't know. I I think that's the most plausible theory. Yeah. But obviously, it was aliens. Yeah, Obviously. I, we were, it was Yeti aliens. Like, remember Alien we saw Yeti. this. Yeah, Ooh. Yeti stole a gun. Aliens Ooh. were there. Everyone saw Please it. Please refer to like about fifteen minutes ago. I really, really want the photo for this one to be a Yeti holding a gun. Like, please, God. We gotta put burp in there somewhere. Yeah, I'll put burp in there. It's okay. I'll figure it out. I, I, I might have to put a Yeti holding a gun now. Maybe we'll get people to listen. So I have no idea why. Serena, what do you think is the truth? I mean, obviously it was aliens, but on the chance that. that it wasn't, <laughs> on the, the slim chance that it wasn't, I absolutely think this is government cover-up. There's, there's no way it's not. Like, if you were to look at this and it's like, okay, let's take out any supernatural things, right? Like, I, I don't tell you about the eyes and the tongue and anything like that. I don't tell you any of the facts. I just tell you that, hey... Like, these hikers went missing, they died, and now the government is, like, like 
not they won't bring their bodies back but they brought some of them back and now they won't let us do the, the procession we want the autopsy got canceled i'm like okay some jfk bells going off here <laughs> like this is yeah. absolutely government conspiracy cover-up i'm not sure why that's the only thing that I'm like, I don't know that there was missiles, like the radiation kind of leads me to believe that like maybe they were testing some equipment up there and it went wrong. Like, I don't know. But with, yeah, extra things found, just like it, everything being so strange, too many weird things and like missing film, like who in this freezing tundra is going to take film out and then they, it's not in their belongings. Like that yeah. makes no sense. So yeah, I 100% like buy into like the quote unquote conspiracy theory that this is government cover up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, I'm kind of along that line too. I mean, I just, you got to think about the fact that all nine of them died. I mean, all of them did not make it out. All of these experienced professional, like while they were young, they knew what they were doing. They were about to be certified as like the top class of their, like just being a hiker. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole, like, I just, I don't think it's any one thing. I think something weird happened and a bunch of like horrible series of events took place that ended with all of them dead, which is probably why they're all separated so much too. And mm-hmm. I, like I've said before, I don't think it's implausible that an Ari missile test happened just over this mountain pass right here. And they just happened to be the closest ones to see it. So they were the ones that paid the price. I mean, this just makes me think of, um, we just did the Roswell incident recently and there are some things that were just so classified, nobody knew about it. And sometimes even the military themselves didn't know about these projects that were going on. And so it's hard to get information until like the 90s when information was released. But like you said too, Cameron, you have to find it. So, I mean, I think it's entirely possible that there was some kind of, I don't know, weapons testing or something by the Soviets that they tried to cover up and something went wrong and everyone ended up dead. Yeah. So that's my theory. Cam thinks it's the Yeti. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Yeti with a gun. I know. Yeti with a gun. I mean, he could still have the gun. So if you're looking that's, for He it, has all the careful. knives. He was like hoarding the knives. There you go. The killer yeah. lives. And they were missing a bar of chocolate. So he got to that as well. So he just got fucked up on chocolate. Definitely yeah. Yeti. No, I mean. <laughs> After I, he murdered him all, he's just sitting around smoking the stolen cigarettes and eating his chocolate. <laughs> I went into this not knowing, because, like, I've heard about this. I heard about this forever ago. It was one of the first conspiracies I ever really got into, like, over eight years ago. Uh, so I've loved it forever. But it, I wasn't sure what to think, like, going into it. And even though I liked the book, the idea that infrasound is just a cause of them going crazy and then they kind of just lost all train of thought, like, completely and just lost themselves in the wilderness doesn't really make sense to me. They were, they were professional. I mean, they were young, but they also knew what they were doing. I just feel like at that point, you know, like their, their subconscious would tell them to do the right thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't see that as being plausible. Uh, and I don't really think infighting caused that either. I, I think that there's some weird pieces that go along with the Russian government thing, which one of the biggest things is going back to the medical examiner that said that it was a large directional force that they were hit by. It seems like something was out there that was actually like 
going after them rather than just I fell down into a ravine. That's actually, like you said earlier, it's just more of a bowl than anything else. So it's not even like a crazy slope where you're going to injure yourself heavily. feet under snow. Right. So, yeah. And they supposedly built a den, which I will say to the author's account, he makes it sound like they all just kind of passed out after they run in there. But according to the investigators, they think they actually built something at least a little bit as best they could. So it's hard to say what happened there, but I think it would have to be something extreme to force them out of the tent. And I do think like a missile explosion that you're not expecting to happen over your head happening in the middle of the wilderness. Right. And one thing we didn't mention because there's not a lot of information on it is one of the ways they were looking for the bodies is they use poles and they stick them into the ground and like lines and they pull up and they hope that they find like clothing or something like that. And that's how they found the bodies. Uh, But at one point, they wanted to bring in metal detectors. They were told not to, but they did it anyway. And then after using the metal detectors for a very short period of time, they decided that they weren't going to use them anymore, which it makes me question whether or not, like they didn't find any fragments of any missiles or anything like that, but you're also not using metal detectors. And you're walking on top of eight foot deep snow, so Mm -hmm. you might not find any hot pieces of metal that would have just shot in. So that also makes me question it a little bit. I mean, we know that the Russian government was very weird about it, still is to this day, even though it's different Russian government, still is very strange about it. And we do know that they did missile tests in that area because people have seen it and they did confirm that they had done a missile test in like March in that area, but they were talking about um, like, yeah, they had the military base. Like, yeah. it's not unreasonable that there would have been military there, too. Right. And it could just, I mean, it, I don't, I'm not saying it's necessarily something that they did intentionally. I don't think they hurt people intentionally. I think right. there's a possibility they might have accidentally caused something and then kind of couldn't fix it. But I do think they probably had some involvement in it. And there's like weird things that are mentioned in the book too. Like he takes a cab at one point to get to his host, uh, Konsevich's house. And he finds out later that the cab car was just completely destroyed shortly after they had taken the cab. And Kinsevich said that he thought it was a version of the KGB, like a newer version that it it's actually, FGB. yeah, that was threatening them basically. I mean, these were like really smart kids. I mean, yes, like they were hikers and they were on a hiking expedition, but yeah, like we talked about, they were all engineers and like physicists, very intelligent people. It's not unreasonable to think that like maybe they had, you know, sort of like, quote-unquote new age ideas about the way the world should work and the government didn't appreciate that and if they were trying to sort of revolutionize the departments and not be just there for their government I could see that being maybe like a threat and who's to say like you know what they were willing to do but the government has done terrible things every government has done terrible things in like the name of fear yeah I mean they had just ended the Stalin era so yeah That's what shit was horrible in Russia. So, I mean... Well, and even in, like, an interview with Yuri Yudin, he talks about how the government was not something that could really be trusted, even though he was actually very much for the Soviet government. He wasn't... He still thought that they had something to do with the disappearance or with the deaths. (laughs) It's it's very hard to say what happened. It's such a weird case. And it doesn't... Like, there's still things that are weird. Like, why is she missing a tongue? 
Why is he missing his eyes? Where did his camera come from? Mm -hmm. Why are some of them stripped? Why are the ones who built a campfire eight feet away at least from their campfire? Why? It's it's all just a bunch of whys with literally no answer. And I'm not sure we're ever going to really get an answer. Honestly, like my big why is like, why the fuck are the footprints still there? How? How are the yeah. footprints still there? Yeah, especially with the wind. Yeah. Oh. Wild. Yeah, Wild wind guys. strong enough to create infrasound, but not strong enough to <laughs> smudge up a footprint. And with that, that was our episode, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Do you think it was Yeti with a gun? I'm, I'm betting that's the most confident answer. Please let us know if you think it's a Yeti with a gun. Please let us know if you agree with us on that. Please send us your fan art of our Yeti with a gun. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, we man. will make you a t-shirt. Yeah, How about that? put that on a t-shirt, a Yeti with a gun. Uh, yeah, let us know what you think happened, though. If you know anything else about the case, uh, if... If you're the Russian KGB, please don't kill us. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, if you know anything, let us know. If you think we're wrong, let us know. I do recommend, if you are interested in this case, I very much recommend reading the book uh, that we read, Dead Mountain, The Untold Story of the Dyatlov Incident uh, by Donnie Icar. It is a very good book. And also, if you just kind of want to know more about the people involved with this, like the actual students that died, it's kind of a nice book just to kind of understand who they were rather than just looking at them as people who died in a horrific accident. It's one of the reasons why I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. The BBC also has a nice little documentary on their, or like, sort of like a photo documentary on their website where some journalists actually went up and they kind of did this hike and they talked to the natives. They went to the places. It's, It's very informative too. So if you're wanting a more casual, breezy version, then that's what I'd recommend. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Conspiracy Say What. Um, we also have a Goodreads. It's Conspiracy Say What. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. Forgot we had a Goodreads. I was just thinking about that because I want to, you know, actually keep up on the books that we read for the, the book podcast. On there for that. We'll um, also put up photos. Don't forget, put them up on our social media. Put up some interesting ones. We're not going to put up the morbid ones. I'm not going to put up no. any other death photos. Well, good thing I'm the one that does it. Exactly. You're not going to. So. No death photos. We'll put up some photos of Fine. them and some I'll of the, link. some of the finds that we have. Uh, we'll put up that photo that looks like a Yeti, apparently, to the Discovery Channel. <laughs> Enough for a documentary. Enough for <laughs> or and a half of money that they spent. Yeah. Uh, but so again, anyway, thank thanks. you for listening. And thanks, Serena, for coming back. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me back. You yeah. can email us also, by the way. Yeah, you can do that too. <laughs> Uh, just remember, stay stitches, everybody. Thank you for listening. And also, this is Spooktober, so we'll do another Happy Spooktober. Another spooky episode next week. Ooh. I'm not telling you what it is. <laughs> All right, I think that's it. You forgot to say your name. Oh, yeah, I'm Cameron. Hi. I said it earlier. Okay, bye. I'm Allie. That's Allie. And I was, you know, the, the special guest star, Serena. Spirit, <laughs> <laughs> <It's> say <very laughs> farewell. Conspiracy, fair, that does not sound good. Conspiracy, goodbye. Conspiracy, I'll <laughs>